Well, allow me to extend my welcome to you today as well. It's great to have you joining us for online church today. And it's good to be able to just sit back and listen to what God has to say from his word. Uh, obviously, we're continuing our series from Galatians this week. And today in particular, we're looking at chapter 3 and verses 1 to 14. And, and this section of scripture actually signifies a change in what or how Paul is defending the gospel message. Up until this point, uh, he's defended the accusations or assaults uh, on his authority as an apostle. And as a consequence of that, also there's been this assault on the validity of his, the message that he was presenting, whether it was actually actually a true gospel message and he now moves from defending that to defending the doctrine of faith or the early church's accepted beliefs and teachings related to faith. Paul will contrast the gospel of grace against the false legalistic gospel that was being taught by the false prophets that were in the church at that time and he's tacking this as to appeal to the Galatians' personal experience of the gospel message, their understanding of the scripture, and for them to reason or think through the foundations of why and how they actually came to faith. He appeals to them to, them to think about the experience they had when they first received Holy Spirit, and he's asking them to allow that experience to guide them regarding the matter that is at hand now, as he writes. Before we get into it, let's just pause and pray. Father God, I want to thank you once more that we can gather like this. I want to thank you for everyone who's hearing my voice. Lord, I pray by power of Holy Spirit that you'll just open our hearts and our minds to hear your message to us this evening. I pray that we'll be willing to receive what you have to say to us. And more than that, Lord, that we'll be willing to change in order to draw closer to you. Father, we so desperately need you. We so desperately want more of you. So please be with us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we approach this passage today, I'd like you to again to reflect on who it is that is writing this letter. And it is, of course, Paul. And Paul has this strong attachment to the Galatian churches. In many ways, he considers the Galatian church and those attending to be his children. And in all reality, they could be considered his spiritual children. He saw them come to faith. He has nurtured them in that faith. And he continues to be concerned for their spiritual well-being and how they progress in their faith and walk. And we think about Paul and the relationship he has with those that he ministers. We can look beyond the book of Galatians to when he wrote to the Thessalonian church. He reminds the church of Thessalonica when he did that, that the gospel they received was not just words, but a proclamation which was confirmed by the power of Holy Spirit, confirming that what was said was actually the word of God. Likewise, when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he emphasizes that his message was accompanied by the power of Holy Spirit. And again, he's proving that the message was not just words. It was not just something concocted by men. It was something that was empowered and invigorated by Holy Spirit. And that was clearly evident by the situation and events that happened around the proclamation of his gospel message. And when we look at the passage today and when this opens up, Paul calls the Galatian church to remember how they first came to faith. How did you first come to believe? And his connection and desire for these churches is for them to return to the truth. And it's clear in how he addresses them. 
and the questions he asks. He says they're turning from the one true gospel is foolishness. And he isn't afraid to call it the way it is. Galatians 3, 1 to 2. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Oh, foolish Galatians. J.B. Phillips translate this, translates this, Dear idiots, and that may seem a little harsh, but the original Greek word that is used here refers to a lack of understanding, a mindlessness, someone driven more by emotion than through careful consideration, or someone who has a moral defect which causes them to blindly or thoughtlessly be carried away by others. And it's the same word that is used in Luke 24, 25 to describe those two followers of Christ as they walked with him, him along the road to Emmaus. And it's used by Jesus because they were slow to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Paul is indignant that the Galatians could be so easily misled. How could they be so foolish to so quickly abandon the once received truth? Their actions make such little sense that it's like they've been put under a spell, as if they've been bewitched. And Paul is not saying that witchcraft is actually a work here, but so bizarre is their behaviour that their actions are more like people whose minds have been manipulated and controlled by evil forces. They've allowed the appeal of the false teaching to influence them, rather than reaffirming the truth of Paul's original message. They've allowed themselves to be deceived by these false teachers. And Paul reminds them of what they knew. He tells them that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified before their very eyes. And I suppose the intention of meaning here is not very clear, but Paul is saying, we taught you that the cross was all about a number of different things. We demonstrated to you that Jesus, what Jesus' death meant. We demonstrated that it was this substitutionary atonement, the justification, the reconciliation, the redemption and forgiveness all obtained there by the sheer grace of God. And if that is how Paul explained it, you can possibly appreciate that some people didn't actually get it. But I don't believe he did. I believe he ensured all would understand that he the message that he proclaimed. So he would have spoken in a way that they understood. He would have said something along the lines of how Jesus took Paul's place and how he took their place, the Galatians' place on that cross. How Jesus, although perfect in every way, took their sin upon himself and he died in their place upon that cross. And he did it all so that Paul and the Galatians could be put back in right relationship with God, forgiven of all of their sins, all through God's incredible and undeserved favour upon them. And it's the same favour that falls upon us. And Paul is reminding them, calling them back to remember that the cross of Christ brought to an end all the strivings of men for acceptance by God. Jesus' death on the cross is the finished work of Christ. There is nothing else required. And they knew this. They had accepted it. They had believed it. And yet here we are. And Paul calls them to remember. Galatians 3.2 Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How 
Did you receive the Spirit? He wants them to think about it. Did they receive the Spirit, the confirmation of God's guarantee, or God's guarantee upon observing the law? Or did they receive it when they believed the message of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer is obvious. They received Holy Spirit when they believed in the message of Jesus. Their performance of the things of the law had no effect on their salvation. And this is a word of warning. You know the truth. Your salvation is through Christ alone. There is no perfection. There is no end if you believe it is gained through works, through obeying the law. You are foolish to turn from the one true faith, believing your efforts will gain you perfection in Christ. That is what Paul is saying. Galatians 3, 4 and 5 said, Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And Paul's saying further to all these things, did you suffer then for no reason? And Paul seems to know there was some suffering as a result of the Galatians coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked them, why? Why would you suffer like that if your actions now indicate that what you were suffering for isn't even true. Why would you now forsake that faith for the sake of a law-based salvation when you were willing to stand up and suffer for it before? It was all that Paul spoke. It was the suffering they faced all for no reason, none of it having a lasting effect. And he again directs their thoughts to the first encounter with Holy Spirit and to the miracles that accompanied that encounter and accompanied Paul and his message. But now it is from God's perspective. Did he pour out Holy Spirit upon men when they obeyed the law or did he pour out Holy Spirit when they believed in Jesus? And Paul is pointing out the foundations, the basis of their faith. Obviously, Holy Spirit came and miracles were performed when they believed in the message of Jesus. His death and resurrection as proclaimed by Paul. And then Paul goes on to clarify what was the case with Abraham. How did Abraham come to believe? Now, some would argue that Abraham only had the law. Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out upon all mankind until after Jesus' ascension into glory. And so some would argue that way. And so they would say it was by human effort which brought him into a right relationship with God. But Paul is very careful to quote scripture in order to circumvent that thinking. So they don't say it was actually Paul's thoughts, not from scripture. And Galatians 3, 6 says, Just as Abraham, and in quotation marks, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So the bits in quotation marks refer back to Genesis 15, 6. Abraham is counted as righteous. Not because of how he obeyed the law or how he lived, but be, and not because he was circumcised. He was counted as righteous, justified before God because he believed God. And how is this demonstrated? Abraham was willing to take God at his word, believing that all God said he would do would come to fruition. Even though it seemed impossible by man's standards, Abraham is left in a position of utter dependence upon God to fulfill his promises to him. There was nothing 
Abraham could do himself to make that happen. And Paul assumes the Galatians and indeed all who read this chapter will accept that the principle underlying Abraham's faith is the same principle of Christian faith. Total dependence upon God. Total dependence upon God's actions. And perhaps it's a little bit easier for us because of the revelation we have of Jesus Christ. Abraham is declared righteous when he believes. And in verses 7 to 9, Paul emphasises to the Gentiles that all who believe are children of Abraham. And this is one of the identities the Gentiles so desperately wanted. They wanted to be able to relate back to those fathers. And it's the very desire that they had that these false teachers were exploiting. All includes the Gentiles. All are justified or put into a right relationship with God by faith. And all become children of Abraham. The Gentiles were always part of God's plan. And verse 8 reiterates God's promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed because of him. And this promise is termed the gospel in that verse. And Paul is demonstrating that what happened for Abraham was a forecast of the future. Those who are justified always have been and always will be justified by faith. And so Paul goes on to emphasise there is no other way. These next few verses are hugely significant and should be considered, especially if we ever think our efforts help in us gaining salvation as well. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. And I love how Paul constantly quotes scripture to defend his position. Here he is referring to Deuteronomy 27 26. And if you want to go by way of the law, you need to obey all of the law. You need to obey all of the law without fault. And James emphasizes this when he says that if someone kept the whole law and yet failed or stumbled on just one thing, that he has broken the entire law. And anyone who breaks the law is under a curse. Think about that. Because those who are cursed are cut off from God. The cursed are separated from Him. The call is to obey all of the law without fail. Galatians 3.11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. And Paul ensures there's no confusion. He tells the Galatians clearly, no one is justified by the law. Not Abraham, not those false teachers who've come to you, who are hassling you, not me as in Paul, and certainly not you. Those who rely on the law are depending on their own abilities, their own actions of acceptance of God. But faith, those who live by faith, are dependent totally on God, his actions, his intervention, his word and his acceptance of them. There's nothing we can do, nothing we could have done. 
Romans 5.8 makes that quite clear. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the point that Paul is emphasising here. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And this is one of the key passages in Scripture that teaches the substitutionary atonement by Jesus. And Paul has spent quite some time explaining the impossibility of any human being being able to perfectly obey the law, to be able to live out exactly what God required of man. And therefore, they would be seen as righteous before God if they could. But it's a total impossibility. And because no one could do it, God did what needed to be done. And Jesus came in the form of a man, 100% human. He lived a perfect life. And then he did this. He became a curse for us. He became a curse for me. He became a curse for you. It should have been me who suffered and died on that cross. It should have been you who suffered and died on that cross. For the sins I committed and for the sins you committed. But Jesus took my place on that cross. He took your place on that cross. And he took all of my sin upon himself. He took all of your sin upon himself. And in fact, he took all of the sin of all of mankind for all of time upon himself. And he became the curse for us. He was there, nailed to that cross for you and for me. He took that curse and he bore its consequences. Galatians 3.14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus did all of that. Why did Jesus do that? So all could receive the blessing of Abraham. And what was that blessing? It was the blessing of righteousness. It was the blessing of justification. <coughs> It was the blessing of that transaction where we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour and He imparts His righteousness on us and we are put back in right relationship with God. It is where we become adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's where He considers us His friends. And I'm not sure what speaks to you as you read this passage of Scripture. But there's possibly value in thinking about what Paul has said. Here is this church which started so well. They heard the message Paul proclaimed, that true gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he lived, how he died, how he was risen from the dead, how he ascended in heaven, and now he's at the right hand of God. They received that one true gospel message which came with power as they received Holy Spirit. And yet they very quickly seem to have fallen away from that one true message and have been led to believe there was something more that they needed to do. And Paul calls them, remember, remember what it is that you first believed. 
remember what it was that you did, what you believed in when Holy Spirit first came upon you. What was it that you believed? What was it that made the difference? And why did you believe that? And Paul's calling them back to what first made the difference for them. They received Holy Spirit through hearing the word of God and in responding to that very word that was proclaimed. And in moving forward, Paul is asking them, what first made the difference for you? Don't ever forget that. Remember that you received Holy Spirit and rely on those things of faith. Are you going to rely on that message of Jesus Christ or are you going to rely on things of the flesh? How, how does this relate to us? I'm asking you, just as Paul asked the Galatian church, when did you first believe? Why was it you first believed? And what was going on at that time? There was this dependence upon God. There was this declaration of yourself that Jesus Christ was now your Lord and Saviour. There could have been a prayer. There could have been tears. You may have been on your own. You may have been with other people. I don't know. Just dwell upon that for a moment. Think about that time when your life was transformed. And I want, to, I want you to think about where we are right now. We'd be foolish to think we're not in difficult times. And, you know, I, I miss coming to this place. It's weird standing here with only Callie sitting with me, an empty auditorium. It'd be so much better if we were gathered in this place together. It'd be so wonderful to sing God's praises. And I miss that. And I know you do too. But the question is, do I depend on that to secure my faith? Do I need to be gathered, worshipping with you in order to have a relationship with Jesus? Is that what it was at the beginning? And the answer has to be no. We have this tendency sometimes to slip from what true faith is. And I've had the experience where there's people who just have this great dependency upon working out their faith. They, they see that they need to be involved in some sort of ministry. And is that you? Are you suffering at the moment because you can't be involved in the ministry that you believe God has called you to? And so you feel your faith is lacking? Again, I want you to think about, is that how you came to faith? Is that the thing that drew you to Jesus Christ? And the answer has to be no. It wasn't. It's, it's great to gather with friends and, and talk about the things of Christ and fellowship together, uh, not just through singing songs, but just talking about his word. I love doing that as well. And praise God, we've been able to do that on a much smaller scale amongst our connect groups. But again, if that is the foundation of our faith, if that is what spurs us on to greater works, if that is what keeps us going, is it enough? Is it the right thing? Is it what Paul is talking about here? And I'm calling you to remember what it was that made the difference in your life. 
Was it the proclamation of the gospel message or was it these other things? Did you encounter Jesus because of the proclamation of the gospel and you realised for the first time it was Jesus Christ who needed to be your Lord and Saviour and you humbly submitted to him and you have this total dependence upon God? Has that remained true for you? Or is there other things that have slowly taken his rightful place in our lives? Am I depending more on the things of God as each day progresses or more on my own strengths and abilities? Am I found in that time where I'm on my knees before God, reading his word, asking him to reveal to me what he would have me to do on this day? And so the question comes back to you again. What about you? Today, is there anything that you rely on which is not of God. When you think about your strengths and your abilities, are you relying more on those or are you relying more on God? The plans and purposes that you have in life is always, Lord, if you are willing, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Lord, if it is your desire, I want to study and I want to become this or I want to become that. Are we continually submitting ourselves to him and asking him to reveal to us his plans and purposes or are we going off and doing other things and relying on things that are not of him? As we head into this week, I want to challenge you. First thing, maybe even after this message, submit yourselves afresh to God. I, I, I ask you, take some time to remember when you first came to faith. I remember the first time I came to faith, I made one of those um, teenage commitments because I was scared to death of dying. And, and it was a beautiful time. I believe it was a genuine commitment in a way, but I never built upon that. But I remember it was raining. It was the most beautiful thing. But I remember more that second commitment I made where Jesus whispered to me quietly, where he said, you're either for me or you're against me. I knew I had no choice in that matter. And I had to say that I was for Jesus. There was no fanfare. There was no great thing that happened. But I knew in my heart of hearts, that there'd been this huge transformation in my life. And I was now more serious about Jesus than I ever had been in my life. And I can reflect on that time and know that I committed myself fully to him. He made an incredible difference in my life. And when I think about that, when I think about the transformation, when I think about the engagement I had with his word and how I interacted with him in prayer, it's something I will never, ever give up in my life. Is that the same for you? How were you when you first came to faith? Reflect on that and take some time, even after this message, get on your knees before God and thank him for revealing himself to you. Thank him for how you first came to faith. It could have been through a friend or family member or someone in your church. You could have been on your own. You may have been at a particular event at church where it occurred. Whatever it was, thank God that you were there at that time to hear his voice and respond to him. And thank God for those people who influenced you. Thank God for those people who build you up in the faith. Thank God for those people who proclaim the gospel message for how it should be. And then start your life afresh with him again this week. Be found on your knees before him. Ask him to forgive you for those times when you either haven't considered him in your daily or weekly plans or you thought you could do something on your own. And ask him to remind you at those times when you could go down that path. Ask him to remind you to come back to him and submit fully to him. Ask for his wisdom and guidance. And guys, can I ask you, 
ask him to provide divine appointments for you. That you will see his hand, that you'll step into those divine appointments and you'll be willing to do whatever he's called you to do. It will grow your faith and you will do great things for God if you submit to him. Be willing to submit to him and be willing to tell others about Jesus. God can and will use you. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, I thank you so much for that time when I first encountered you. I thank you that my eyes were open to the truth of you. And Lord, I know so many people hearing my voice have had that same encounter. Lord, will you quicken that in their minds tonight? Will you allow them to see that time when you first encountered them, when they gave their life to you, Lord, and received Holy Spirit? And Lord, will you call them back to yourself? Will you challenge them to live more for you and less for themselves? Father, will you allow us to be a people who are looking to you, even in this most difficult time when we desire to be back together, Lord. Let the foundation and basis of our faith be you and you alone. Let us not rely on anything else, Father. And let us be strengthened in our resolve to serve you each and every day. Father, go with us and before us, I pray. Give us good Christian brothers and sisters around us to remind us of how we should be living for you. I pray this now, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God bless one and all.